Shalom. My name is Adam, and I welcome you to the parable of the vineyard. Every day, Yahuwah is waking up a remnant, a group of people who are coming out of deceptions, realizing our walk is to consist of faith and obedience to His righteous commands. Each week, we read through and examine a portion of the Torah, allowing the Spirit of the Most High to guide, teach, and open our eyes and ears to the wondrous matters out of His law. Join us as we seek to be refined by His Word, preparing ourselves for the return of our King of Kings, being faithful and obedient, walking in His way, truth, and life. Shabbat Shalom and welcome back, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Parable of the Vineyard YouTube live stream of our Torah portion reading. My name is Adam, your host, and this is week 35. We're going to be covering the book of Numbers, chapter 4, verse 21 through 789. We're going to be talking about some of the priestly duties. We're going to talk about the cleansing of the camp and uh, how some people need to be outside the camp. We're going to be talking about the Nazarite vow, which is uh, being discussed quite a bit lately. Uh, and the priestly blessing, and a few other things. So with that, let's pray, and let's get into this week's Torah portion. Father Yahuwah Most High, uh, we just come before you from the ends of the earth, from the four corners, Father, to, to gather together and to bless you, praise you, to study your word together. And Father, we just thank you for all that you do for us, for, for being merciful, for sending your Son, and allowing us to study together. Father, please send your Ruach upon us, that we may understand your words and keep them with all of our heart. In Yahushua's name, Amen. Hallelujah. So before we begin, begin, we're going to do a shofar blast. And there's something I want to, there's a couple verses I want to share. Okay. So I did this last year, uh, and I wanted to do it again. It's perfect timing, actually. Uh, really, <laughs> I looked at my notes from last year, and I, I've got a, a call to recenter and focus on the Word. And I remember why I put this out last year, but it's interesting because it really applies even more so this year. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because the ministry has a lot going on a lot more going on this year than it did last year where there's lots of projects in the works we've got the hebrew music festival uh coming up and a couple other projects that um not ready to share with you guys yet uh we're still working out some things but lots of things are going on but regardless of all the good things good projects you know we may be working on we can't ever get too busy and forget about our time in the Word. This is our time we spend with Abba. Sorry. This is our time we spend with Abba. This is our time we spend in the Word, growing in Him. And no matter how important we think our projects are or, or whatever, we can't get too far away from the Word. So I'm. it's a call. This is this is for me. And you may not need this, but just kind of a call to recenter on the Word. And, uh, and I'm just going to read a couple uh, passages to... Um, share that with you. Matthew 22, 1-14. And Yehusha answered, and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. 
and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard of it, he was wroth, and sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And that verse right there should shake us and realize that, yeah, we may be called, but are we chosen? And then one more passage. It's a little more specific to what I'm talking about here. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of Elohim. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, like, come on, everyone, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And let me just pause here real quick. So none of these things are wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a piece of ground. I mean, that's just, that's a big part of Torah, having ground and tilling the ground and there's nothing wrong with having oxen. Of course, there's nothing wrong with having a wife. But what happened was these things became more important than serving the Most High. So that servant came and showed his master these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there is room. And the master said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which I don't think he's telling us that we have to hate ourselves and hate our family. But I think what he's trying to say here is, if any of these things become more important to him, it's going to hinder our walk. And, well, like I said before, many are called, few are chosen. And what whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sits not down first, and consults whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, 
While the other is yet a, a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be to my disciples. So my point is, um, with just, with just uh, I know some people are still uh, getting ready to do Shavuot. A lot of us have already done Shavuot, and which is a, the time of the giving of the spirit and truth and really the, the renewing of the, the, the vows. It's a good time to recognize we can't, we can't ever get too far away from serving him, from, from staying centered in his word. So this is really some of my own thoughts I'm sharing with, with I'm reminding myself these notes from last year was amazing, amazing timing actually is you know, no matter how busy we get with the things that we have in our lives, our homesteads, uh, our families, these are all important things, but there's nothing more important than him serving him and staying in his word constantly. I've said it before, earthly food is like nourishment for our bodies so that our bodies can continue. The word is the nourishment for our for the souls inside of us. So keep that in mind. Without nourishment, uh, we got problems. <clears throat> All right, so Numbers 421. Here's the Torah portion. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe, saying, Take also the sum of the sons of Gershon throughout the houses of their fathers by their families. From thirty years old and upwards until fifty years old shall you number them. All that enter in to perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle of the assembly. This is the service of the families of the Gershonim, to serve and for burdens. They shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the assembly, his covering and the covering of the badger skins that is above upon it, and the hanging for the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And the hangings of the court, and the hanging for the door of the gate of the court, which is by the tabernacle, and by the altar round about, and their cords, and all the instruments of their service, and all that is made for them, so shall they serve. At the appointment of Aharon and his sons shall be all the service of the sons of the Gershonim, and all their burdens, and in all their service, and ye shall appoint unto them in charge all their burdens." This is the service of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of the assembly, and their charge shall be under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aharon, the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them after their families, by the house of their fathers. From thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, shall you number them, everyone that enters into the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of the assembly. And this is the charge of their burden, according to all their service in the tabernacle of the assembly, the boards of the tabernacle, and the bars thereof, the pillars thereof, and the sockets thereof, and the pillars of the court round about, and their sockets, and their pens, and their cords, with all their instruments, and with all their service, and by name ye shall reckon the instruments of the charge of their burden. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, according to all their service, in the tabernacle of the assembly, under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aharon the priest. And Moshe, and Aharon, and the chief of the assembly numbered of the sons of the Kohathim after their families and after the house of their fathers. From thirty years old and upward even unto fifty years old, everyone that enters into the service for the work in the tabernacle of the assembly. I want to pause there real quickly. <clears throat> I find it interesting that we know through the book of Luke that when Messiah began his ministry, we call it ministry, um, it said he was about thirty years old. So it's very interesting that he had just entered his time for being a priest. 
for, for serving. So, kind of interesting. And those that were numbered of them by their families were 2,750. These were they that were numbered of the families of the Kohathim, all that might do service in the tabernacle of the assembly, which Moshe Nacharon did number according to the commandment of Yahuwah by the hand of Moshe. And those that were numbered of the sons of Gershon throughout their families and by the house of their fathers, from thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, everyone that enters into the service for the work in the tabernacle of the assembly, even those that were numbered of them throughout their families by the house of their fathers, were two thousand and six hundred and thirty. These are they that were numbered of the families of the sons of Gershon, of all that might do service in the tabernacle of the assembly, whom Moshe and Aharon did number <coughs> according to the commandment of Yahuwah. And those that were numbered of the families of the sons of Merari, throughout their families, by the house of their fathers, from thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, everyone that entered into the service for the work in the tabernacle of the assembly, even those that were numbered of them after their families were three thousand and two hundred. These be those that were numbered of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moshe and Aharon numbered according to the word of Yahuwah by the hand of Moshe. All those that were numbered of the Levim, whom Moshe and Aharon and the chief of Yashorel numbered, after their families and after the house of their fathers, from thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, everyone that came to do the service of the ministry and the service of the burden of the tabernacle in the assembly. Even those that were numbered of them were eight thousand and five hundred and fourscore. According to the commandment of Yahuwah, they were numbered by the hand of Moshe, everyone according to his service and according to his burden, Thus were they numbered of him as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. So once again, kind of like the same theme as last week, we just see that the Most High is very diligent in giving instructions for exactly how he wants things. Things are very ordered, very orderly, excuse me, and um, laid out very, very detailed of how things are supposed to be done. So we talked, if you didn't miss last week, we talked quite a bit about order last week. We're not going to retread that, but some very similar things. Um, I want to just remind us, <clears throat> I know this may be repetitive, but I, uh, I just never know who sees, uh, you know, what video. Um, and so sometimes, uh, you know, someone may have, may catch this one that haven't caught uh, the other ones. But there's a passage in uh, the order of the book of the Order of the Ancients. Um, and this is from the writings of Elijah. And I want to just share this because I think it's just so profound. Let's see here. Chapter 8, verse 3. Even before he created the heavens and the earth, he counseled the hosts of heaven and planned a plan wherein the spirit of every man should have his appointed role. And what we're, the reason I bring this up is because we see with the priests, e even with the, the, the Levites, the different families had different, um, different tasks in regards to the tabernacle or the service. So every man should have his appointed role. And that's what I'm trying to say here today is we all have a role to play. Even if you're like, well, what would I do? Like, there's something. There's something to be done. Everyone has an appointed role to to edify the body, to, to mold the body, to to restore the body, really to be the repairers of the breach. There's been a breach for thousands of years. The, the most highest people have gone away from the commandments, from the Torah time to bring him back home for the spirit of every man appeared before Yahuwah Sebaot in the beginning and received a place appointed in the family of heaven and earth 
When a man fills his appointed role, it is according to the glorious design of Yahweh Sebaot, and thus, as each one functions according to the divine plan, the work of Elohim is pushed towards its consummation. So you're like, hey, you know, when is Messiah coming back? Well, the faster we do what we do, the faster he comes back. Hallelujah. The designs of Elohim cannot be frustrated. In his hand lies the government of all things, and he sustains all the children of men in their needs. Wherefore, it becomes all men to worship Yahweh Elohim of Israel and be obedient to the divine plan which he has ordained in their behalf. I also want to read some of Romans 12. We'll start at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think him of himself more highly than he ought to think, right? Because we're supposed to be lowly and meek and humble and like, who am I? <coughs> but to think soberly, according as Elohim has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Mashiach, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, <coughs> so sorry, <coughs> whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts, which is like encouraging, on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor or hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the master. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. This will come in this will come into play later on when we talk about the priestly blessing. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. That means bring yourself. That, I know the word condescending carries a very negative term in our modern day language, but this is saying, hey, bring yourself down to the same level to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as it lies within you, live peaceable, with all men. Good passage. Another passage in Ephesians I want to read. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Again, this is just reminding you. And, and, and the different tasks that the Most High have is not limited to what Romans 12 just said in what Ephesians 4 is about to say uh, and what other passages say. There's so many different roles. And as I've said before, if you don't know your role, man, this is... Brother, sister, this is time to ask the Most High to show you because it's time. It's time. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. These gifts he gives us are for the body. It's not for our own personal use, our own personal gain, for vainglory or, or selfish means. Any gift he gives is for the betterment of the body. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Mashiach, till we all come in the unity of the faith. What a day that will be. And of the knowledge of the Son of Elohim unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Mashiach, that we henceforth, so from this time forward, 
be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So this is where we've got to be careful with, hey, not, verifying things that we watch, verifying these these videos we watch and just double checking. Double check me. Double check other people. Don't just take your word, uh, people's word for it. You are responsible for what you believe. You're responsible for what you share, for how you walk. I can't blame it and be like, well, so-and-so taught me. I mean, me or other people, if, if we have wrong doctrine, we're going to answer for that, of course. But just this is an encouragement to you to, to do your own study. And this is going back to that uh, thing we talked about before we started the Torah portion, that call to recenter on the word. Don't, you know, if, you're, if your time in the word has been kind of straying away, you're like, oh, you know, I used to diligently read, you know, um, an hour each morning or an hour each night or um, on my commute to work, but now I haven't been doing it as much. And this is a time to let's I, I, let's just let's do it together. Let's recenter our focus on the word and not get too busy with what we think is also super important. And these things may be important; they really may be, but we can't get get too far away. So, not being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's a lot of deceivers out there. If you didn't know that, a lot. But speaking tr the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Mashiach, from whom the whole body fitly jointed together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Praise Yah. Okay, so... Let's go to chapter five. So we talked about the priestly duties, how they is all broken down. Order, order, order. Structure and order. He's not an Elohim of chaos, but of order. So let's go to numbers five. We're talking about unclean people. And Yahweh spoke to El Moshe, saying, Command the children of Yashrael that they put out of the camp every leper and everyone that has an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female ye shall put out. Without the camp shall ye put them, that they defile not their camps in the midst of whereof I dwell. And the children of Yashrael did so, and put them out without the camp, as Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, so did the children of Yashrael. Now, I want to pause here real quickly. It's just really interesting, uh, really inter interesting timing sometimes with the Torah portions. Um, but we, in case you didn't, Join us during Leviticus. We were talking, uh, it was uh, Torah portion Metzorah, uh, Leviticus 14 and 15, talked specifically about leprosy. And we talked about how leprosy was an inward condition, whether spiritual or whatever, that made itself manifest outwardly so that everyone, had, everyone saw it. You, you couldn't hide from it. And we were talking about how in today's world, we don't really see leprosy like that, but we do see that people's inward conditions are made manifest outwardly by their actions, by their words, their doctrine, um, their fruits, if you will. And we know that oh, just sometimes people have to go out of the assembly. Um, and, and what we saw with the lepers is they were only out for a time until their condition healed and then they can come back in and what we've seen in our local assembly is sometimes people come and they're not quite ready for fellowship. They're not either spiritually mature enough or um, they're just not ready. And what we've seen is sometimes people have to go outside of the camp so that they can 
work on themselves. Paul says something. He says something pretty, um, pretty aggressive. Let me uh, let me pull it up. It says. Um, Let's see here. Uh, let's see. First Corinthians five. This is what I was thinking. It is reported. First Corinthians five. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife, and you are puffed up, which a lot of people are in this movement. They get a little wisdom in them, and then they get high and mighty. And I've not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our master, Yahushua HaMashiach, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our master, Yahushua HaMashiach, to deliver such as one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the master Yahushua HaMashiach. So here Paul is alluding that, hey, when someone does certain deeds, they just need to go out of the camp, right? And he says here, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. We also see something similar in um, Matthew 18, when you have the Matthew 18 process, when you have someone that has sins against you, Right here, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more. So this is the second step, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the assembly. But if he neglect to hear the assembly, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. And so obviously that's the case. They have to go outside. Perhaps uh, this person at this stage would leave the assembly and maybe waking up one day and being like, I just got kicked out for my behavior. Maybe I should like repent and not do that anymore. Maybe they can come back. I, the, the point is, is out for a time and maybe after true repentance can come back. So I'm just, I'm just sharing with you in a, in a um, current day understanding of people having to go outside of the camp. If that makes sense. Now, of course, if someone sins and they repent, you know, there's there's no need. But it's for someone who's remained hardened in their condition. All right, Numbers 5.5. Five. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Yashorel when a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit to do a trespass against Yahuwah, and that person be guilty. Then they shall confess their sin, which they have done. And he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he has trespassed. We find this in the Mishpatim in Exodus uh, twenty-one through through twenty-four. With when if if you if you do this particular trespass or, or theft or whatever, you have to repay plus um, you know a fifth or depending on this exact situation. But if the man have no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto. Let the trespass be recompensed unto Yahweh, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. <clears throat> and every offering of all the holy things of the children of Yashorel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. And every man's hallowed things shall be his. Whatsoever any man gives the priest, it shall be his. Now here comes an interesting one. <clears throat> so sorry, this is uh, allergy season for me, so I'm... Uh, plugged up a little bit but 
uh, this this section here, confession and restitution, it's what I was just mentioning in this previous portion here. Sometimes people have to go out. and Typically, they have to go out of the camp. What I've seen in a modern day, they have to go out of the camp because of um, being unfruitful, um, being hardened in their sins or transgressions, uh, refusing to repent, uh, refusing to uh, confess or, you know, and so here's, it's obviously this portion here, it's kind of interesting timing that it's right afterwards, but um, a good, also a good reminder of forgiveness and reconciliation. So we just read from Matthew 18, we'll read a little bit more, uh, verse 21 and 22, then came Peter to him and said, Master, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Yahushua said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Um, this for another time, but it's kind of interesting when you do the math of this. Um, some pretty cool prophetic things here. But really, in, in a literal sense, he's saying you, you forgive him all the time. In a very literal sense, we forgive. If our brother has done, our sister has done something wrong against us, and they're willing to <clears throat> to uh, repent, we forgive. We forgive every time. And there's even some really wise words in the Testament of Gad that even if if someone sins against you and they re- refuse to repent, you can still forgive them from your heart. Because if you have, if if you if you don't forgive, if you don't just let go. It'll, it'll be a spring of bitterness dwelling inside of you. Matthew 5, 23-24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave there your gift before the altar and go your way. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Messiah is basically sharing us the order of things. Like, hey, he wants us to reconcile with each other before you know we go before the Most High uh, before these things. So... Anyways, just a, a, a remembrance uh, and a call uh, for, for forgiveness at all times. All right, now here's an interesting one, the test for adultery. Numbers 5.11, And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Yashrael, and say unto them, If any man's woman go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her man, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner, and the ruach of jealousy. So this is interesting. There is a spirit of jealousy out there. And, yeah. So, and the ruach of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his woman, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit or the ruach of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his woman, and she be not defiled, then shall a man bring his woman unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. So bringing iniquity to remembrance. So this is interesting that this offering is very plain. It's made of barley instead of fine flour or wheat flour, and no oil on it, nor frankincense. So like, hey, don't, don't spice this one. Don't don't flavor this one up. Keep this very, very boring and plain. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before Yahuwah. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before Yahuwah and uncover the woman's head. 
and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse. Let me pause here real quickly. I find this really interesting that they take the water and then they put the dust that's in the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. So this is kind of interesting because it will find out here shortly that when they, when the woman drinks the water, it'll reveal whether she's lying or telling the truth. Um, we find something similar with the golden calf incident. After the golden calf was uh, melted down and turned into like powder or dust, it said that Moshe made them drink it. Well, in the Aramaic, it said that after it was drunken, um, there was a, I think there was like a, uh, their, I don't know, their nose, their nose turned red or their face turned red. I can't remember what exactly what it was, but uh, there was an indication to to make it evident or known who was guilty of the golden calf. And that's how the Levites knew exactly who uh, the 3,000 to kill that were part of that kind of upright, that sedition and uh, that abomination, if you will. So it's interesting here that in a very similar way, uh, here you have the dust of the floor. You know, we're made of dust, and just interesting that, that the dust itself will kind of make manifest uh, the situation here. So he shall take the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water, and the priest shall set the woman before Yahuwah and uncover the woman's head. We'll get back to that in a second. And put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse. And here's the, obviously when you think about bitter water, I don't know about you, but it reminds me of like Revelation 8 when wormwood and the waters are made bitter and many die because of the waters, the, the bitter waters. I think you know, there's something a lot more there than just the literal. I, I, I in the scriptures we find the the sweet versus the bitter the sweet being the torah the bitter being lawlessness light darkness um good evil kind of that separation um anyways so she uh so he uncovers her head puts the offering of moral in her hands and then the bitter water and the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman if no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of your man, be free from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if you have gone aside to another instead of your man, and if you be defiled, and some man have lain with you beside your man, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, Yahuwah make you a curse and an oath among your people. When Yahuwah makes your thigh to rot, and your belly to swell. And this water that causes the curse shall go into your bowels to make your belly to swell and your thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a sephir, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse. And the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before Yahuwah and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, to burn it upon the altar and afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her man, that the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. 
And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the Torah of jealousies. When a woman goes aside to another instead of her man and is defiled, or when the ruach or spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he be jealous over his woman, and shall set the woman before Yahuwah, and the priest shall execute upon her all this Torah, then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. So, <clears throat> very, uh, very interesting passage. Um, what we're going to find out, or what obviously most of us know, uh, and if you don't know, here's uh, some some information. Um, Israel, Judah, the two houses, they were married to the Most High. They were married. And they mixed their ways with the pagan ways and started serving other Elohim. The Most High, he likens that to adultery, spiritual adultery, fornication, if you will. And his people went astray through adultery through going to another man is basically it was is how he likened it and it's really interesting that <clears throat> messiah took took that bitter cup of jealousy that punishment of for the adulterous bride the reason being is or, or the, the 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 evidence for this is you can do the research yourself when someone is crucified uh what happens a lot of people don't know what happens people typically die from asphyxiation from from their lungs filling up, swell, uh, filling up with water, uh, and just literally choking to death. That's why they end up breaking the legs. Because what would happen is, just to merely get a breath, one would have to like step, would have to put their weight on their feet, which is of course being held by nails, push up, and so they can just catch a breath. Otherwise, they're they they couldn't breathe. They're like suffocating, so they have to <gasps> and come back down. Anyways, what would happen during that process is. Their belly would actually swell, and because of the the the, the constant uh, you know having to hold yourself up, I guess the thighs would start to to not rot, but kind of um, have uh, I, I guess swell as well. So you have some of these similar um, effects that happen to someone that's crucified, and, and you'll see here um, through Messiah's own mouth that he's taking this cup. Because remember, this whole passage here is about this cup of the jealousy offering. Mark fourteen thirty four through 36 and says unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tear you here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So what was this cup that he's talking about? Well, I believe it's this cup is um, alluding to Numbers five and the the cup of the the jealous offering for the woman who went astray from her man and that's exactly what Yah's people did and Messiah bore this cup. Let's look at Ezekiel twenty three. The word of Yahweh came again unto me saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. There were their breasts pressed, and there they bruised the teats of their virginity. And the names of them were Ahola, the elder, and Aholibah, her sister. And they were mine, and they bare sons and daughters. Thus were their names. Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem Aholibah. Now just pause real quick, just in case. Um, <clears throat> Samaria was the capital of uh, the northern kingdom, Israel. Jerusalem was, of course, the, the capital of, the, of Judah, the southern kingdom. After Solomon, 
the 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 whole nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern house and the southern house. So these were he the, the, basically he's saying they were mine. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, they're mine. They're married to me. And Ahola played the harlot when she was mine, and she doted on her lovers, on the Assyrians, her neighbors, which were clothed with blue, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding upon horses. Thus she committed her whoredoms with them, with all them that were the chosen men of Assyria, and with all on whom she doted, with all their idols she defiled herself. So this is the, the spiritual adultery here. Neither left she her whoredoms brought from Egypt, for in her youth they lay with her, and they bruised the teats of her virginity, and poured their whoredom upon her. Wherefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians, upon whom she doted. These discovered her nakedness. They took her sons and her daughters and slew her with a sword, and she became famous among women, for they had executed judgment upon her. Going a little bit further down to verse 30. I will do these things unto you, because you have gone a-whoring after the heathen, and because you are polluted with their idols. You have walked in the way of your sister, therefore will I give her cup into your hand. This is talking to now Judah, uh, to or Aholibah, to the southern kingdom. He's like, therefore, I will give her cup into your hand. And this is why Jerusalem drinks the double cup, a du a cup filled to the double. Uh, it's because it's the portion for her own sins and for the sins of the northern kingdom. We're all laid on Judah here, according to Ezekiel. Thus says Yahweh you shall drink of your sister's cup deep and large. You shall be laughed to scorn and had in derision. It contains much. You shall be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, with the cup of astonishment and desolation, with the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall even drink it and suck it out, and you shall break the sherds thereof and pluck off your own breasts, for I have spoken it, says Yahweh And of course, we're going to go now to Revelation 18, looking at the great whore, and you're going to see where uh, this is pulling from. It's pulling from Ezekiel, we just read. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So these are, this is the same language. Um, <clears throat> you shall be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, astonishment, desolation you've gone whoring after the heathen um her, the these discover her nakedness um her whoredoms so again for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and Elohim has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. Why? Because we just read that in Ezekiel, because she's not only drinking her own, own portion, but also Samaria's as well. And so... Jerusalem being the mother of all harlots, this is the nation that was married to the Most High uh, through her wickedness, her fornication of, and, and what fornication means is being his, but also serving other Elohim. That's fornication. That's being married to the Most High and fornicating with other Elohim or even, even trying to serve Yah in a, uh, <clears throat> in a pagan way. 
And so what's happened is the whole world has drunk of her fornication. They have followed her doctrine, followed her ways, which is to claim to be his, but not serve him according to the Torah, serve him according to man-made traditions, or not even serve him at all, but serving pagan holidays and, and um, days that are not established by him, um, i.e. Uh, the first day of the week instead of the last day, Shabbat. <coughs> So there are many harlots. The whole world is a harlot. The whole world is Babylon. But there's only one mother who has taught all the world this wicked fornication. And it's not the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church uh, came way later after Jerusalem. The Catholic Church is just another daughter of Jerusalem's whoring ways. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2, Comfort ye, comfort you, my people, says your Elohim. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. And you know, <clears throat> we can reason together, sorry, my mic keeps falling. We know um, where this is coming from, double for all her sins. We read that in Ezekiel, uh, where she was rewarded double with the, her own cup and her, the cup of her sister, Samaria. Jeremiah 3, they say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again unto me, says Yahuwah. Lift up your eyes unto the high places, and see where you have not been lain with. In the ways has you sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness. And you have polluted the land with your whoredoms and with your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there has been no latter rain. And you have had a, for, a whore's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. Will you not from this time cry unto me, My father, you are the guide of my youth? Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you could. Yahweh said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there, ha there has she played the harlot. And I said, After she has done all these things, turn you unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. <clears throat> and it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not returned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, let's say half-hearted, says Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said unto me, the backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north. This is the northern kingdom. And say, return, you backsliding Israel, says Yahuwah. And I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, says Yahuwah. And I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity. This kind of goes back to the Torah portion we're talking about. About when, when you've committed a trespass, you, you repent. You ask for forgiveness. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against Yahweh your Elohim and has scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, says Yahuwah. Turn, O backsliding children, says Yahuwah, for I am married unto you and I will take you 
one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says Yahuwah. They shall say no more the ark of the covenant of Yahuwah. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit. Neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahuwah. And all nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of Yahuwah. To Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. But I said, How shall I put you among the children, and give you a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of the nations? And I said, You shall call me my father, and shall not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says Yahuwah. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and have got, have forgotten Yahweh their Elohim. And really, that's the same thing that's going on today. You have a group of people that are saying they love him and they love his son and they gather together every week and sing praises, but they don't do any of the things he says. I can't say anything. Don't do anything. That's not true. They don't do a good portion of the Torah, which is to follow the commandments. And so what I'm saying, I'm not judging them because that's not my job. All I'm saying is that we're right back to where we were thousands of years ago. However, there is a remnant rising up. There is his great army is rising up. His nation is rising up. And his nation is not a particular skin color or ethnicity. His nation are those that call upon him and serve him in spirit and truth through his son, Yahushua HaMashiach, the great king and high priest. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto you, for you are Yahuwah our Elohim. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains. Truly in Yahuwah our Elohim is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covers us. For we have sinned against Yahuwah our Elohim, we and our fathers, from our youth even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of Yahuwah Elohim. Well, I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, now is the time. Like he says, even though you've gone astray, come back to me, and I will heal you. And he's allowed that through his son, Yahushua HaMashiach. Though none of us were his nation, his people, now we can be his people. Because even the natural branches, natural branches are wild branches. Those who had gone astray were cast off. But he's allowed us to come back in through the blood of Mashiach. Praise be to Yah. So, the other thing I wanted to talk so this so long story short, Messiah took that bitter cup for us. Praise be to Yah. Uh, I do want to mention one other thing. Um, so, head coverings is always an interesting topic, and. It, Paul, of course, says that a woman was, must wear one. Um, we don't see a commandment in the Torah that a woman was, must wear a head covering. The only thing that we do get, though, is this in verse 18. And the priest shall set the woman before Yahuwah and uncover the woman's head. So one of two things here. Either number one, it was just known that a woman wore a head covering. And so therefore, when she went to the temple, she had to take it off. Or... 
it was required for a woman to cover her head when, when she approached the temple. Either way, it said that he would uncover the woman's head. So the woman, one way or the other, had a head covering when she went to the temple. Now, does that mean that um, every woman wore one all the time? You could make that argument. You could also make the argument that the woman put it on uh, as a sign of reverence and, and humility coming to um, the tabernacle. So... Uh, in in short, I'm in favor of head coverings. I, I think it's it is a good shine, a sign of uh, meekness and humility in a woman. Um, yeah. Okay. But just so you know, we don't require it. Like at our assembly, we don't require it because I don't see a Torah commandment that says you have to. I do. I do believe Paul's words um, are for us and and edifying and qualify as scripture uh, i think some things may be opinion because he even says so you know this is not from Yah, this is from me so it's very possible that you know that could have been an opinion but i do encourage it but don't require it how about that that's just kind of where i'm at so interesting that the woman was tried by water um think of all the all the trials by water of course noah and the ark um Abraham and Isaac were tried by water. If you read the Jasher account, when they were going to Mount Moriah, Hasatan became a body of water to try to, uh, to drown them. The Red Sea, right? the crossing of the Red Sea, baptism now. Yas people were tried by water many and many times, but now, of course, by fire. The Nazarite vow, that refining fire, praise you. All right, the Nazarite vow. So this is something that quite a few people have been discussing as of late. Um Four, five, six years ago, I, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a single Nazarite. I didn't know anybody was talking about it. But in the last couple of years, quite a few Nazarites uh, have been popping up. I mean, we have 10, maybe 10, 12 in our assembly, maybe 14, somewhere around there. I might have to take a tally one day. And so some people initially would say, well, how can you be a Nazarite without the temple? And I would just say, well, how can you have forgiveness of sins and salvation without a temple? That would be my answer. Not to be sassy or uh, just being honest. I mean, I, I believe, you know, if someone is, is called to be a Nazarite, that be a Nazarite. It's between you and Yah. Let's read about the Nazarite vow, and we'll talk about it. Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Yashrael, and say unto them, When either a man or a woman, so we know that this is not just for men, this is not just, you know, big, big, tough Samson. When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazir, to separate themselves unto Yahweh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. I think this is just talking about alcohol, period. Some people are like, well, maybe we can have a beer as long as we don't have wine and liquor. I think this is talking about alcohol, period. So no alcohol. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. This is my opinion. I've met other Nazarites who have different opinions and shall drink no vinegar of wine so this is like red wine vinegar white wine vinegar or vinegar of strong drink again alcoholic type of beverage neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried so nothing from the grape nothing no raisins nothing all the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husks 
Yeah, so no, none of those, uh, you know, the dolmades, the the Greek, you know, with the 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 grape leaf wrapped with the rice and oh, so good. No, none of that. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled in the which he separates himself unto Yahuwah. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. So no, no cutting of the hair. Some uh, there's lots of different interpretations. Um, when it says no razor come upon his head, we know there's a Hebrew word for head, uh, rosh, and there's a Hebrew word for uh, face, panav. And so some Nazarites believe you can't cut this hair nor this hair. Um, I'm of the understanding that it's talking about just this hair, and not this hair. This is your this is your face. This is your head. Now I know the argu argument can be made that your face is part of your head. There's that too. But again, this in the Hebrew, there's a word for the hair of your head, and then there's panav, the face. So, anyways, again, different different uh, Nazarites have different interpretations of this. So all the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separates himself unto Yahuwah. He shall be holy, and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. All the days he separates himself unto Yahuwah, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or his brother or his sister when they die because of the consecration of his Elohim is upon his head. So back in those days, of course, they would just literally um, you know, carry the body and all that kind of stuff. That, and it makes it unclean. Uh, so the Nazarite is not supposed to touch a dead body. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto Yahuwah. So I'm going to pause here really quickly. So... A lot of, uh, some of you, I don't, I'm not very, I'm not too vocal about it. Um, some of you already know, and some of you may have no clue. Um, well, I'm just looking at that. I don't know why my, why this is all weird, all particle -y. Anyways, um, some of you, of course, have asked in the past why I have long hair. Um, I'm about three years in. Um, yeah, summer of 2020 it was when I decided to, when I felt led to do the vow. So, um, I am currently a Nazarite myself. Uh, I felt led for several reasons. Um, number one, I mean, this is right here. Like, like this, all the days of his separation, he is set apart unto Yahuwah. I don't know about you. I want to be set apart unto Yahuwah. And so when I read this, I'm like, well, I want to be set apart to Yahuwah. That's a, that's a pretty awesome opportunity. Okay. I've never had long hair before, but okay, I can let my hair grow long. Um, and, you know, one of the other reasons for me personally, um, a lot of you know parts of my testimony, um, I used to have a problem with alcoholism. Now, praise be to Yah, he delivered me uh, fully in 2014. So it's been almost 10 years that I've been delivered from um, having an issue with alcoholism. Um, when I quit, I, I stayed away from it for years. But it was interesting coming back to the feast days and coming back to Passover, you know, I was like, well, you know, it's kind of customary to have some wine. And so I would have some wine and I was like, oh, this is, this is nice, you know, and I'd have one glass and then I'd have, a, you know, two. And I was like, I'll, I saw the danger. I'm like, ooh, I like this too much. I feel like I am in danger of slipping back into this. So, um, couple years ago so yeah okay it was about this time three years ago when I was going through the Torah portion I, I read it and I it, like it hit me and um, yeah that summer I'm like I was like you know what I don't want to play with fire 
I want to be set apart to Yah. I can go without eating grapes. Um, and it's probably a good idea for me to stay away from alcohol. And did I say I wanted to be set apart to Yahweh yet? Yeah. I definitely want to be set apart to Yahweh. And so I felt it was a no-brainer for me. And Nazarite vows can be for a specific time. I've met people that did Nazarite vow for a year, two years, five years, ten years. Uh, I've met several lifetimers. Um, I don't know where I'm at. Um, I may be a lifetime. I think really might probably depends on when Yahushua's coming back. Uh, but I have no uh, inclination to end it anytime soon. So. And we'll, we'll stop here for a second. We'll stop here. Then we'll find out that the Nazarite, the Nazarite is supposed to be a blessing to the house of Israel. Amos 2, 10 through 12. All, this is He's talking about a list of all the things that Yahweh has done for his people. Look at all these things I've done for you is what he's saying. Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. Listen, now he's talking about all the things I did for you. And I raised up of your son's prophets. Look, I gave you prophets to give you my word, right? And of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O you children of Israel, says Yahweh? He says, look, so the Nazarites are supposed to be a, a blessing or a good thing or a gift from Yahweh. And Yah's doing something because, like I said, four or five years ago, I didn't know a single Nazarite. Now I know dozens. And to me, that's some, something's happening. He's calling people for something. And so he's doing, he's doing a blessing for his people. Is he raising up prophets and Nazarites? Maybe so. Is it not even thus, O you children of Israel, says Yahuwah? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Lamentations 4, 7. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. rubies. Their polishing was of sapphire. 2 Kings 1, 8. And they answered him, He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, is it, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now, it's not uh, concrete, but uh, through some of this other evidence, uh, I do believe Elish, Elijah excuse me, was a Nazarite. First uh, Samuel one eleven, and she vowed a vow and says, O Yahweh Sabaot, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid, this is Hannah, of course, and remember me and not forget your handmaid, but will give unto your handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto Yahweh all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now this is Hannah, uh, of course, making this promise to the Most High about uh, the son that she would eventually have, which was Samuel, and Samuel was a Nazarite all of his life. He never cut his hair. Judges 13, 1 through 5, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of Yahuwah. And Yahuwah delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of Yahuwah appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, you are barren and bare not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray you, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto Elohim from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So of course this is talking about Samson. And um, also speaking about Nazarites, we have many close friends who are in the walk, in the way, 
and um, have been have given birth to Nazarites from the womb. There's two that I know of that have been born in the last uh, couple of four or five months that are Nazarites from the womb. Their mothers uh, and their yeah their mothers were both Nazarites uh, from the womb, and uh, they have made a vow to Yahuwah that uh, no razor shall come upon their head. And uh, Yah willing, if my wife not if when if and when. Yahuwah allows us to conceive again. If we have a, a male, uh, we're going to make him a Nazarite from the womb as well. My wife and I are both Nazarites, and uh, we'd like to rear a Nazarite child as well. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Yahushua took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink from this time forward of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Is it possible that Yahushua took a Nazarite vow until the kingdom comes? It's possible. And you can see evidence of it here after he made that vow. Matthew 27, 33-35. And when they were come into the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and on my vesture did they cast lots. So but here they, they gave him the vinegar drink mingled with gall. So this is uh, like an alcoholic vinegar. And when he saw that what it was, he, he wouldn't drink it. He made the vow. Possibly. So, we'll finish up uh, with the Nazarite vow in chapter 6. So, all the days of his separation, he is set apart unto Yahuwah. I want to be set apart. Praise Yah. Can we be set apart without taking the Nazarite vow? Yes. We talked about it in Torah portion, Kedoshim. Like, you want to be holy? This is what you need to do. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he has defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, and make an atonement for him, for that he sinned by the dead, and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto Yahuwah the days of his separation, and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost, because his separation was defiled. And this is the Torah of the Nazir. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the assembly. And he shall offer his offering unto Yahuwah, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for peace offerings, and a basket of matzah, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of matzah anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before Yahuwah and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings unto Yahuwah, with the basket of matzah, the priest shall also, shall, I'm sorry, the priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering, and the nazir shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the assembly, and shall take the hair of the head of his separation, and put it in the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. 
And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one matzah cake out of the basket and one matzah wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazir after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before Yahuwah. This is holy for the priest with the wave breast and the heave shoulder. And after that, the Nazir may drink wine. This is the Torah of the Nazir who has vowed of his offering unto Yahuwah for his separation. Beside that, his head, I'm sorry, beside that his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed so he must do after the Torah of his separation. So, can we do a Nazarite vow today? In my opinion, yes. Even with all these offerings, if you want to break it, break the vow, or if you have to break the vow, um, obviously we, I believe we can do these things without animal sacrifices and without the temple, through the ministry and through the blood and the priesthood of Messiah, Yahushua. So, let's talk about, uh, so, uh, you know, we know that we know that um, Samson gained much physical strength through his Nazarite. That's like the longer his hair was, the stronger he got. I wonder if we're in a time now, is it possible that Nazarites get stronger in the Ruach today? I don't know. I'm not saying that in a boastful or prideful way um, because I'm a Nazarite. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Like, is, is that a thing? Is it not? I, I don't know. I have no clue. But it's, it's certainly it's certainly an interesting thought. Numbers 622 through the end is the Ahronic blessing. So earlier we read in, um, it was it Romans 12, we said, bless and curse not, but bless. Even bless your enemies. You remember even Messiah said, bless those who curse you. I think this is the blessing that we bless them with. Are, are we Aaron? Are, uh, are we um, uh, sons of Aaron? Well, I mean, who knows? Probably not, but... Can we bless other people with this? Do we have to be, you know? Again, operating under the order of Melchizedek, can we bless each other with this? I think we can. And Yahuwah spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto El Ahron and to his son, saying, On this wise, so this is how you shall bless the children of Yashrael. So again, as an Elohim of order, I want, you know, you priests bless the people. And this is how I want it done. Yahuwah bless you and guard you. Yahuwah make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahuwah lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Oh, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Probably one of the most important ones, to have shalom no matter what's going on in your life. So we know the blessings, of course, the blessings and the curses. Blessings, keeping the commandments, cursing if not. But I love this word, and guard you. This is like shielding you. Psalm 3. We're going to play Psalm 3 today. A shield for me, you're my esteem. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahuwah, lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Father, let's pray right now. Father, O Yahuwah, we just thank you for this blessing here. Uh, and we pray that in the name of Yahushua that we would remember this. And that we can bless each other through this. Even those that curse us will bless them in this way. The way you've commanded it. Father, thank you so much. In Husha's name, please give us shalom. Amen. And they shall put my name upon the children of Yashrael, and I will bless them. So at the end of this Torah portion, we're going to um, we're gonna play the priestly blessing that Jake and I have enjoyed doing. And then we'll play Psalm 3 at the end. So with that, um, we're going to just kind of read through uh, number 7. It's very repetitive. Um, it's 
every single tribe bringing the same offerings. What's really cool though is the the if you count up all the um, oxen that are offered here, comes up to seventy. And so it's kind of interesting. You you kind of have the seventy representing the seventy nations of the of the seventy nations of the world, and it's uh, you can see here it's like Israel's kind of like um, <sighs> interceding to be the light of the whole nations kind of thing. All right, we'll read number seven. Uh, we'll just kind of kind of read through it. I don't really have a lot of talking points in here. I will do actually. I want to say uh, there is one quick passage here, um, and this is the Septuagint version of. Uh, number six, and it says this. All the days of his separation, a razor shall not come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, which he vowed to Yahuwah. He shall be holy, cherishing the long hair of the head all the days of his vow to Yahuwah. So just like I kind of like that. All right, number seven. And it came to pass on the day that Moshe had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it. And all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, had anointed them and sanctified them. That the princes of Yashorel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offering before Yahuwah, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one an ox. And they brought them before Yahuwah. And Yahuwah spoke unto Moshe, saying, Take it of them, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 70, the 70 oxen, um, I think this is the wrong timing. Forgive me. I think that's the offerings during Sukkot. Forgive me. Totally forgive me, please. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Take it of them, that they may do the service of the tabernacle of the assembly, and you shall give them unto the Levim, to every man according to his service. And Moshe took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levim. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according to their service under the hand of Ithamar, the sons of Aharon the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belongs unto them that was them was that oh wow, this is because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. And the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering before the altar. And Yahweh said unto El Moshe, They shall offer their offering, each prince on his day, for the dedicating of the altar. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nachshon, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Yahuda. And his offering was one silver charger, the weight thereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs the first year. This was the offering of Nachshon, the son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Tsuar, the prince of Yissachar, did offer. He offered for his offering one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of gold of ten shekels, full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, Five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Tsuar. 
On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, prince of the children of Zebulun, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver, silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. On the fourth day, Eliatsur, the son of Shadur, the prince of the children of Reuben, did offer. His offering was one silver char charger of the weight of a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Elitzur, the son of Shadur. On the fifth day, Shelumiel, the son of Zerushadai, prince of the children of Shimon, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs the first year, this was the offering of Shelumiel, the son of Zerushadai. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Dewel, the prince of the children of Gad offered. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of a hundred and thirty shekels, a silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Dewel. On the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amihud, prince of the children of Ephraim, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs the first year, this was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihud. On the eighth day offered Gamliel, the son of Pedeshur, prince of the children of Manasseh. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs the first year, this was the offering of Gamliel, the son of Pedeshur. 
On the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideonai, prince of the children of Benjamin, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideonai. On the tenth day, Achiezer, the son of Amishadai, the prince of the children of Dan, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Achiezer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Okron, prince of the children of Asher, offered. Of his offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs the first year. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okron. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enan, the prince of the children of Naphtali, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was a hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs the first year. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enon. This was the dedication of the altar in the day when it was anointed by the princes of Yashrael, twelve chargers of silver, twelve silver, silver bowls, twelve spoons of gold, each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels, each bowl 70. All the silver vessels weighed 2,400 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. The golden spoons were twelve, full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece, after the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the spoons was a hundred and twenty shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve bullocks, and the rams twelve, for the lambs of the first year twelve, with their meat offering, and the kid of the goats for a sin offering twelve. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offerings were twenty and four bullocks. The rams sixty, the goat, the he goats sixty, the lambs the first year sixty. This was the dedication of the altar, after that I was anointed. And when Moshe was gone into the tabernacle of the assembly to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him uh, from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubim, and he spoke unto them. So that, brothers and sisters, is our Torah portion. Praise Yah. Uh, quick announcement, just want to make sure you all know, uh, I'm going to put a standalone video, but we're having a music festival uh, here in southwest Missouri, Galena, Missouri. Um, it's going to be July 7th, 8th, and 9th, and we're going to have artists of all kind, um, all genres. And, um, and for some of you that, uh, that like hip-hop out there, um, Lorvins is coming, praise yeah.
very excited about that. So um, with that, brothers and sisters, let's pray, and we'll do a couple songs. We're going to do the priestly blessing uh, in light of our Torah portion today, and I feel led to do Psalm 3, or play Psalm 3. So with that, let's pray. Father Yahweh, we just come before you and bless your set-apart Kodesh name, uh, Yahweh Sebaot, and we thank you for your son, Yahusha HaMashiach. We want to follow him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Help us, Father, to uh, to recenter our focus on you and on your word. Um, let none of these things in our life choke up the word and become unfruitful. Father, we just we bless you. We just ask you to continue to pour upon us your doctrine from above. And Father, we want to pray for unity in the body, even recognizing that we may have different differences in interpretation or understandings calendars, whatever, Father, but we want to be unified somehow. And this can only be done by your Ruach. So we're asking this, and we're asking that you bring judgment upon this world, and that Yahushua will come and gather us soon. In the name of, in his name we do pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's play the uh, priestly blessing, and I'll see you all soon. Hope you had a great Shavuot, and some of you may be getting ready to do your Shavuot soon. Blessings.
You're the one who lifts my head up and I cry to ya with my voice. Oh yeah, T.